Philippians 1, 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to affect me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with, with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we pray that this morning would be a time where we're found in you, that our worship would be humble and uh, focused on you, that this time of listening and uh, prayer would all be for your glory, that we would just see our lives as a sacrifice uh, for your kingdom, and uh, that we would be quick to listen. Uh, please be with Brian as he speaks, and bless this morning for all of us. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Everyone has the book of Philippians. We have about, I think, about 80 more of these. So can I have uh, somebody help me pass these out? Martin, you want to help me pass these out? So take one. And there's, if you don't have one, I think most everyone has one. But if you don't, raise your hand and Martin will give one to you. And then uh, there's a box of them. Where are they? On the back table. You can... Uh, Katie Johns is back there by the back table, and there's a whole bunch of them back there. So please grab one. This is um, the book of Philippians only, and it has a little spot for, for you to take notes. So we will be studying the book of Philippians, and we want everyone to be able to have that so you can um, study it, learn it, have it be a part of your life. We believe that God's Word uh, speaks to our lives and to our hearts. And so the way that happens is by you thinking about it and getting it into your heart, okay? We are studying the book of Philippians. We started last week. We are going to begin with our um, short introductory video from the Bible app. We will watch about uh, two and a half, three minutes of it this morning to give you an update of uh, where we are at in the book of Philippians. This morning, though, I, I want to talk to you about your definition of life and how you define life. What is life about? Okay? We will get into that right after we watch this. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. 
Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. All right, so the Apostle Paul is sitting in uh, Rome under house arrest, and he's writing this letter to a community of believers in Philippi. He started this church about eight to ten years earlier, and now because of his preaching the gospel, he is going to go before uh, the Roman emperor, and his life is at risk. And so he writes this letter, and this portion of scripture He's, he's giving a report of his life, and he's going to bring up some really important things. Number one, and the central focus of our talk this morning, is your definition of life. We are so busy doing things, being active, work, fun, play, that we often don't take the time to think about what is the meaning and purpose of your life? Last week, we talked about how important friendships are. 
This morning we are talking specifically about your own personal life and you coming to grips with the eternal reality of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, and this is uh, the, our focus passage this morning in chapter 1 verse 20, he says that his purpose is to honor Christ with his life, that his body, his life, his purpose is to honor Christ. And he says in verse 21, <clears throat> for me to live is Christ. And so this morning, just for the next little bit of time that we have together, we're going to try to block out distractions, block out things that we have after church, and think about what is the ultimate purpose of our lives. Often we get so busy um, at work, with kids, with responsibilities, that we don't take the time to do this, to take time to really understand what life is about. Paul is taking a few moments and writing about the details of his life. He's sharing with us the things that are going on in his life, and he wants us to focus on what's truly important. And so the question we'll begin with this morning is, what is the definition of your life? What is the motto for your life? How do you define your life? What is it ultimately about? Sometimes life is just about getting through the day. Sometimes life is just about just getting here this morning. Like you just, you made it. Sometimes life is about getting through the week, solving some problem. But is there anything deeper than that? The Apostle Paul uses seven words to bring meaning and purpose and clarity to his life. And those words come from chapter 1, verse 21. And the words are, For to me, to live is Christ. Seven words. For to me, to live is Christ. And it's the last word that changes everything. For to me, to live is family, work, busyness, happiness, fun. We all have things that can easily define our lives, that we just get busy doing life. And the Apostle Paul says that we need to take time and realign and think through carefully that all of life is to be viewed through the eternal reality of Jesus Christ. And that how you define your life, how you do life, needs to be defined in eternal realities, not in temporary things that are fading away, not in temporary things that can be taken away from you. For Paul, the bottom line is that there are things in life that are uncertain, that circumstances of life are often out of our control, and that we need something to build our life on that is eternal and lasting. And the Apostle Paul says that it is Christ and Christ alone. What are the alternative views to Christ alone? What are the ways that we just the, the patterns of life that we just fall into without thinking about? Well, it depends on where we live. It depends on the age. It depends on your circumstances. One view, though, that is common where we live is the enjoyment view. For me to live is to enjoy life. 
That above all else, that's what I care about. That's what drives me to be fulfilled by enjoying life, by being healthy, by being fit, by having friends, by doing all of these things that I enjoy. Traveling, buying certain things, having certain things. We define our life this way. For me, life is pleasure. And it is worth it for us to be alert to the culture that we live in. What is the driving message of the culture that we live in? and where we live in. How does the culture that we live in define life? And how does it contrast with Christ? So one view is the pleasure view. Another view is the stoic view. For me, to live is to be in control, to be a person of strength, to be a survivor. That life has brought really hard things for me. And so my life is based on the reality that I'm smart, I'm tough, and I'm a survivor. That I can navigate the brutal realities of life by being in control, by being strong. I watched um, a, a clip this, this week of a, of a movie. And it's a, this is a great movie because I'm going to bet that none of us have ever seen this movie. It was produced in 1938, called, and the movie's called Angels with Dirty Faces. Really? That's amazing. That's great. Somebody, James Cagney is in it. And there's a scene that depicts something that's really interesting. And the scene is uh, this gangster. And it's, it's uh, 1938, and it, it thought about showing it, but we'll do it another time. But he's this tough guy. He's this stoic. He's the guy that life has been hard. And so his whole reputation of being a gangster and being the lead gangster is that he can navigate life with his shrewdness, with his toughness, with his stoic view of life. And in the movie, in this one particular scene, he's been arrested and he is on his way to death row. Uh, he's on his way to being executed. And he's walking in like a 1938 gangster, all kind of tough and, it, it, and kind of snarling. Like he's not afraid of, of the death penalty. He can do it. And then alongside him walks uh, a Catholic priest. And he asks the, the gangster to say, and he, he asks him, if, if in the final moments of your life, you will, he says, you will turn yellow, that you will begin to cry and whimper, that you will completely walk away from this whole persona of being tough, of being in control. And the reason why the priest asked him to do this is because this gangster has this following of teenage boys. And these teenage boys love this guy because of how tough he is. And he's the gangster and he makes things happen in life. And so the priest is having this conversation with him and the gangster's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, gonna, I'm going down tough. And the priest is pleading with him for the purpose of saving the lives of these teenage boys who are living in this glorified view of being a gangster. And so as the scene continues, the gangster, as he's approaching the electric chair, he begins whimpering and crying and doing all of these things that show how weak and flawed he is. The next day, it's all over the newspapers that the gangster goes to the, the tough gangster, goes to the electric chair, whimpering like a little baby. And all the teenage boys 
are saying, this can't be true. This is our idol. This is the man. He is the tough guy. The priest came and met the teenage boys and said, no, it's true. It's true. Here's the point. We build our lives deeply on things. Whether you're the stoic survivor, you're the pleasure seeker, these things run deep in our lives. And when Paul says, for me to live is Christ and Christ alone, it completely demolishes our whole view of life. We don't like that. Because that means that everything about my life has been wrong. But that is the gospel. <clears throat> that you're loved and accepted and there's grace and there's newness of life for you. And so there are competing realities for all of us. For me to live is, it can be our families, it can be so many good things. And the Apostle Paul says that the Christian life needs to be built on the eternal reality of who Jesus Christ is. The gangster changed his view of life. It was a conversion type experience that he gave up this stoic way of life. The reality is this, if there's only one definition of life that will enable you to stand the challenges of life. And if we build our lives on anything that can be taken from us, it will create discouragement for us. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to these people in Philippi. <clears throat> he's being honest with them. He's being sincere with them. And he's saying that the ultimate reality of life is found in Jesus Christ alone. But then he warns them with three specific warnings. And we will work our way through these quickly. And I'll show you how they unfold in this story. So Paul is saying that my purpose in life is to honor Christ with my body, with my life. And I do that by living in Christ. And he says that what that looks like actually is this fruitful labor. He says in verse 22, he says, For if I am to live in the flesh, that means a fruitful labor for me. And that fruitful labor, fruitful labor for Paul is helping people find their ultimate reality in Jesus Christ. But there are threats. And here are the threats that come from life. And number one threat is unexpected trials can cause you to walk away from Christ. Unexpected trials. Here is the unexpected trial from the Apostle Paul. In verse 12 it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The unexpected trial is that Paul is sitting in jail. That he had a purpose for his life. One of the things that, if you, uh, that you quickly learn when you study the life of Paul, that the Apostle Paul was a motivated man. That he wanted to do things with life. That he wanted to start churches. He wanted to be a man of action and do things. But this unexpected trial was a reality. Think about this for a moment. Some of you are in grad school. You've been working really hard in grad school and, and maybe it's law school or something else and, and you take your bar exam and you fail it. And you take it again and you fail it. And you've worked really, really hard to do things. You want to practice law. You want to accomplish things with your life. But you're stuck. 
You can't do it. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had devoted his life to starting churches. He devoted his life to being a servant of Christ. And now he is sitting in jail. So, number one, we're thinking about threats that can cause us to walk away from the ultimate reality of Christ in our lives. And and one of those things is unexpected trials. And here's how he handles it. He says, so this unexpected trial of sitting in jail served to advance the gospel. So he viewed this trial, this unexpected trial in his life, as a way to advance the gospel. Verse 13 says this, so that it had become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Unexpected trials, unexpected frustrations, unexpected things that happen in life that can create frustration, that go against what you want for your life, can be used for the advancement of the gospel, can be used for you to grow closer to Christ. Verse 14 says, And most of the brothers have been become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So other people's lives are being benefited through this unexpected trial that happens in life. And then he says, and much these people, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So while this imprisonment was happening to Paul, it was something that he didn't want. In fact, um, his decision of life or death was coming soon. He was going to stay faithful, and he knew that something good was going to come of it. So unexpected trials, unexpected things that come in life can be used to advance the gospel. That's number one, as a threat that can pull us away from the ultimate reality of Christ. Number two is the pain of broken relationships. The pain of broken relationships. So Paul is sitting in jail, and there, is, there are some people that are out to get him. Verse 15 says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So there are di- there's a group of people Some of them are preaching the gospel while he's in jail, and they do it out of sincerity of their heart. But others are preaching the gospel and slandering Paul. He writes that they are doing it out of envy and rivalry, and they they do it out of selfish ambition. Think about how important it is to have the approval of people. Think about how hurtful it is when people slander you when people say untrue things about you behind your back. It hurt the Apostle Paul. It hurts any of us today. The power of slandering somebody's reputation. But look how the Apostle Paul responds. Verse verse 16 says that some do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But others, the former, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's frustrated over the circumstances of life. And on top of that, there are people who are kicking him while he is down. People who he thought were his friends. They're attacking his character. They're motivated by their own plans, their own desires. And the pain and the reality is real for the Apostle Paul. 
And so the question is this, how do we react when people slander us? What is our natural response? Defensive, right? Defend our character, defend ourselves that we are right. Prove people wrong. Stand up for yourself. Defend yourself. Don't let people speak that way about you. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. This is astonishing. We know how hurtful and painful it can be when people say hurtful, mean things to us. And the Apostle Paul says, it's okay. My character, my reputation is not ultimate. What's ultimate is that Christ is proclaimed and I can rejoice in that. See, these are all things that are building off a life whose ultimate reality is found in Christ. Unexpected trials come and they will come for all of us. People saying hurtful things about you, that's going to come. But these things will not derail the Apostle Paul. He is firm in building his life on the ultimate reality of Christ. Number three, in a threat that can pull you away from the ultimate reality of Christ is an uncertain future. We don't know what the future holds. What is the uncertain future for the Apostle Paul at this time? It's life or death. Life or death. He's in, in a, a short time, he's going to write a few more letters. He's going to write letters to, to Timothy. But in a short time, his life is going to be coming to an end. And here's what he says, talking about this future unknown. Verse 20 says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is ultimate reality for him. He is uncertain about the future of his life and his health. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. uncertain futures it's something that impacts all of our lives we know the, the reality of life tells us that our physical health is uncertain that relationship futures are uncertain often and there is a way for us to view life that there is a definition of life that says even if I don't know the exact details of my future I can live with joy What's interesting is how Paul uses the words. He talks about this fruitful labor for me. What is the fruitful labor? And we mentioned this earlier. So that in me you may have 
ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus coming to you again, but that you have joy and faith. This, this was Paul's fruitful labor, that he would encourage people to find joy in Christ. That's what his life was about, was helping other people find true contentment, true beauty, true happiness, true joy in life that comes through Christ. He was not going to allow an uncertain future ruin him. Think about the trials that we face, unexpected trials, uncertain futures, and how much fear that can cause. The fear of being left alone, the fear of being isolated, the fear of being detached from people that we love. An uncertain future is a reality for us all. But there is a way to live. There is a beauty. There is a strength. There is a joy that comes through Christ. And Paul says this, his definition, for to me to live is Christ. When you allow that to run deep into your life, you can live with a humble confidence, a humble joy, a sincere joy, a strength and dignity of life that says, regardless of the future, the unknowns of life, I can live with joy and happiness in my life because Christ is the eternal reality. He's what is true. He's what is beautiful. The challenge for us is we live in a world that says, find your life in this. Find your life in all these things. Find your life in anything but Christ. The only way you can make sense of life is if you are able to quiet your soul before the Lord and reflect and ask meaningful questions and to reflect on this passage. And the message of the world is busyness is best. Don't ever slow down. Don't stop. Keep going. Stay busy. We build our lives on feeling important through busyness. And quiet is viewed as weakness. And the Apostle Paul in the Bible says, that's the antithesis of life. That reflection, that quietness, the finding and navigating life through thinking and evaluating God's Word. Thinking carefully, what does it mean for you in your own personal life, in the life of your marriage, your kids, for me to live as Christ. It's the way of beauty, it's the way of joy, and it will clash with the message of the world. The Bible works on this premise that there's revelation, there's a revelation of a message. For me to live as Christ, and there's a revelation of the message of the world. For me to live is whatever you fill that word in, and you have to choose. Make a choice of how you want to live. The gospel invitation is for all. It's one of beauty, it's one of joy, it's one that can navigate life through the eternal reality of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would live in the reality of your Son, Jesus Christ. That while we live in a world that barters with us to build our lives on the material things, on 
control, on independence, on freedom. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to us, that the good news of the gospel is that your Son, Jesus, loves us enough to give his life for us. Pray that we would embrace the joyful relationship that comes through Jesus. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.